if Ridley Scott had made the decision to really, you know, force it over your head that Deckard was a machine, then I'd kind of be sitting there going, well, this is kind of like just a really stylistic version of Robot Wars, and I mean, it's interesting, but why do I really care? You're listening to the Story Geeks Podcast, produced by the Reclamation Society. Welcome to the Story Geeks Podcast. I'm Jay. Howdy, I'm Mike. And I'm Daryl, and today we are going to dig deeper into Blade Runner. Yes, Blade Runner, the classic, classic, classic film. The pioneer. One of the, yeah, definitely a pioneering film. Um, Michael Gordon is our guest today, and you you probably know Michael Gordon, because probably you either listen to the ESO podcast, hopefully you listen to the ESO podcast, or you listen to our podcast, which hopefully you do too, and he's been a guest before many times. So what were the some of your guest appearances? I know you were on A New Hope. I was on A New Hope. Uh, that was intense. And, uh, of course, we've done uh, both volumes of uh, Sheriff of Babylon. Absolutely, uh, yep. So that was yep. a lot of fun. Um, and uh, I was looking forward to this one. As a matter of fact, when you mentioned Blade Runner, I was like, please. So, <laughs> it is one of my favorites. So, Absolutely, yeah. It's great. Um, also, just, a, just something of note. If you uh, are enjoying Punisher on Netflix, because the new season of Punisher is out. I've just started that. Yeah, I've just started it too. I'm about, I think I'm about episode five or something like that. But if you're yeah. enjoying that, then you are most certainly going to enjoy the Sheriff of Babylon. I mm-hmm. would be shocked if there wasn't some inspiration taken from Sheriff of Babylon for Punisher or some, or vice versa. Right? Interesting point. Yeah, I could see yeah. where there's they, there's a little bit of crossover there. Yeah. So just throwing that out there. Um, so also, could we get a go- Sheriff of Babylon movie someday with John Bernthal? Possibly. I would not argue that. <laughs> yeah, no, we, both Mike and I are very big fans of that comic, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if that ever happens. Uh, Mike, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I'm a writer, publisher, podcaster. Uh, my most probably um, renowned, if you want to call it that, uh, work is the comic Tiki Zombie, which I wrote and created, um, and uh, we're on our uh, fourth, fifth issue, somewhere in there. Um, nice. And uh, both, yeah, the fourth issue isn't out yet. We're it being produced now. And then we're starting pre-work on the fifth one. And then, um, and also another music CD, because we have music CDs to go uh, along with the comics, which is pretty nice. Um, and then uh, podcasting, uh, as you mentioned, I'm on the ESO, uh, Earth Station One uh, weekly podcast. We've been doing that. We're almost reaching, my God, it's 400 episodes. We're like, Whoa. like we're yeah. about, yeah, next month we're hitting, like, with with our Star Wars episode, we hit 400. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. That's a good one to do it with. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So uh, so that'll be an event in and of itself. And uh, I also am a co-host on um, uh, the Air Station Who podcast about Doctor Who stuff, as well as I just make appearances like this uh, all over the place. So. <laughs> Excellent. That's awesome. Well, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. It's always been a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I would highly recommend that you guys go check out the Earth Station One podcast. Uh, they are they are dedicated to the Earth Station One podcast. It's like every every show is like at least two hours. Um, That's true. And you've got the Geek Seat, which I've been on. It's a terrifying experience, but um, <laughs> it's also fantastic and it's really cool. Uh, and then they do a lot of movie reviews. So pretty much if there's a big movie that has come out, they do also con um, reviews or con updates about what's going on in the conference world. So uh, highly recommend you guys check that podcast out. And of course, buy Mike's stuff. Support support what he's doing. 
Absolutely, thanks. And I also want to point out for sure that um, for those people who are interested in Blade Runner, because you're listening to this, uh, if you've seen the sequel, uh, Jay appeared on our show when we reviewed that, so uh, about a month ago. So I yeah, that was a blast too. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on for that. That I would just listen. I listened to that. Yeah, that was fun. Um, So, really quick question before we dive into the questions. How's how's that? Another quick question before we dive into the questions. <laughs> yeah, it's all uh, questions. Yeah, it's all questions. <laughs> but Mike, you mentioned that you have the CDs that go along with the comic. Does are you supposed to play the CD as you read? No, I mean you don't have to. Uh, they're oh, not. Okay. They're not directly. They're not books and records. That kind of thing. Like I grew up with. Uh, although I've thought of the idea of doing that. But these are. This is music inspired by. Uh, the comic as well as a lot of tiki influences that uh, I, I love. So um, mm. I've gotten together with some musicians and we've uh, produced one CD and we're working on the second one now. That is super That's cool. cool. I've always wanted to do a story where you actually listen to it as well. But Yes. I mean, yeah. I, I grew up with those audio adventures and they were just uh, those books and records and they were really awesome. I don't know if there's much of a call for it now, but I, I really want to do one. At some yeah, point. I agree. There should be a call for one. All right, so we're going to um, dig deeper into Blade Runner, which is going to be really fun. Um, my first question for you guys, and I'll start with you on this one, Mike. Um, is Blade Runner, we did, we did a top 10 science fiction podcast, which you can go listen to. We asked a bunch of people to submit their top 10s. We read all of the top 10s. Including um, mine. Including yours, yeah. So, And you're going to have to refresh my memory because so many people submitted things that I don't remember who said what. <laughs> but is Blade Runner in your top 10 science fiction films of all time? Not only is it in the top 10, and I would even say it's in the top five, but it's, it's depending on what day you ask me, it's in the top five to 10 of my top films of all time. Hmm. Whoa, one, uh, so yes, yeah, so you are the right guy for the podcast. Well, this one is just, you know, I, I can't say that I'm an expert or that I'm, you know, um, the, the biggest Blade Runner fan, but I'm, it's a big part of. Uh, of my life it really came at a point where um, it just blew my mind and was very inspirational and I still look to it for inspiration that's awesome what about you Daryl is this in your top 10 sci-fi films Uh, no it's not Um, (laughs) I'm going to come at it from a slightly not opposite perspective yeah I don't dislike Blade Runner yeah but I don't think it connects with me on the same level that it connects with a lot of other fans. Ah, uh, okay. Like, I absolutely recognize the pioneering aspect of it. I recognize the brilliance. It is an amazing piece of film. Like, I have no arguments about that whatsoever. Right. I think I might, my attention span might just be a little bit <laughs> shorter than some people's. And, and for me, I know that I've seen the whole movie. But I think it's in different sittings. I'm not sure if I've made it all the way through in one sitting. Um, but uh, so, I mean, I, I recognize that it's an amazing film. So, for, so no, it didn't make my top five just because I think if you look at my top five, you'll find it's filled with more stuff that moves a little bit quicker and is more catered to my shorter attention span and <laughs> desperate need for lighthearted fun, I guess. I don't know. Well, I am... I'm closer to Team Mike on this one, but I will say it made my top five. It's 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 at, it's actually at number five on my top ten science fiction movies. I think that I don't know. There's something for me that's just incredible in film when we get to explore explore the darker side of humanity, mm-hmm. and so this whole concept of dystopian, which we'll get into. Um, and this concept that 
we are exploring what happens if human nature kind of runs amok. I think that that is fascinating to me. So I really enjoy that. Um, I also really enjoy, you know, one time on this podcast, we'll probably do like a, the story geeks geek out about like films versus movies. Um, and because mo- <laughs> movies are bubblegum, they're fun. You have popcorn with them. They're just like, who cares if it's, if it's hard hitting or not? It's just something you go to entertain yourself with. Um, this is by, by the way, just, I think my definition, I don't think anyone else has said this necessarily, but films for me really do explore the concept of deeper themes. And I think that this film is more of an art house film. It's not a big blockbuster, even though it has all the elements of a big blockbuster. So I really enjoy it for that aspect as well. And I should clarify for me, I think most of the stuff that keeps it from being higher up on my list is stylistic. Hmm. Like, I love the story. I love the themes that it explores. I love the idea of replicants is Decker to replicant. Like, all this stuff. Super cool. I think it's just the stylistic thing maybe doesn't connect with me. Like, what Ridley Scott was going for in the 80s. And then certainly what Denis Villeneuve did on yeah. the recent one. I'm just like, it's not, not quite hitting me the way it might hit other people. Oh, but, I, love, I love that. Part. But I love the stories. Yeah, Definitely. All right, so we're going to jump in, and basically, uh, Mike, you will get all of the odd-numbered questions, but I'll prompt you, Daryl, you'll get all the even-numbered questions, and we'll just go through it. The first question on here is, really, what do you see as the central theme of Blade Runner, and what concept is the storytelling exploring here? Well, um, I mean, simply put, it's the age-old story of man versus machine, right? It's, uh, you know, uh, basically the John Henry story. Um, uh, We've seen it many times, especially, you know, um, as technology, I think, has progressed and we can do bigger and cooler machines. um, Because around this time, I think shortly thereafter is the Terminator, right? So that's like one of the ultimate movies as far as uh, man versus machine. so you get uh, so Blade Runner makes that you know well the original novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is explores that aspect by asking sort of what does it mean to be human I mean basically the, the, the even title is like do do machines dream like do yeah. they have dreams yeah um, and I and I think that's that's at the core of this movie. Um, obviously there's a lot of other things going on that's, um, um, uh, with it, but, uh, I think ultimately now, you know, sort of, you know, jumping ahead to, you know, the age old question of whether Deckard is a machine or not, um, then it could be, you know, is it machine versus machine? But, um, <laughs> and that, that's where, you know, I kind of not sure I'm, I'm big on, on having uh, Deckard be a machine or be an android, be a replicant because of that nature of it. Because then it gets all like, I, I don't know, it takes me out of it, really. If Ridley Scott had made the decision to really, you know, force it over your head that Deckard was a machine, then I'd kind of be sitting there going, well, this is kind of like just a really stylistic version of Robot Wars. And I mean, it's interesting, but why do I really care? Um so I, I think, you know, it's important for me watching this that uh, Deckard is human uh, and, and when he goes up against uh, the replicants, um, that's one aspect of this movie. But then, you know, he ends up falling in love with one as well. And so uh, I think that that raises a whole bunch of other questions, too. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. What do you think, Daryl? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the central theme is humanity and 
what is humanity and can you achieve humanity or do you have to be born with it? Mm. Um, I think there's a, there's a theme of control too, because, you know, like Mike, like you talked about the whole humanity versus robots thing, like everybody's fighting for control, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody wants to be in control of their own destiny or in control of the world around them. Um, what I, cause it, it is definitely one of the classic man versus machine stories, but I like that it's a very gray one. I like that it's not like a war between man and machine. Yeah. I like that there is some element to sort of make man from a machine and incorporate them into the world. And I like that kind of that murkiness of it, that it's not just humans versus robots, you know, but there's more to it than that. So. Absolutely. I, I, so kind of to piggyback on both of what you guys just mentioned, I think that there's the, in my opinion, the central theme of this movie is the exploration of a pretty big question, which is what does it mean to be human? Now, to Mike's point, I think that the main question of the plot is are replicants human enough to be considered as equals with human beings, mm-hmm. which is kind of what you were hinting at too. Yeah. But I think with science fiction, something we often see is that the plot is actually a smokescreen for some bigger, deeper philosophical question that's be actually behind the plot. So, you know, science fiction, actually, the plots always, you know, usually take place in the future, unless it's an alternate universe or an alternate timeline or something like that. Some of them take place in the past even. But in general, you see them take place in the, in the future. Um, it's not usually a setting that we experience, right? So as a writer and you're writing this science fiction thing, it's not something that we have necessarily experienced because it is in the future or it's in an alternate timeline or it's in the past that we didn't experience. Um, so it's foreign and Blade Runner is like that as well. But I think in order for the story to remain relatable to us, it has to inform us about our world. There has to be a bigger question behind it. And that's why I think... Um, when we consider how we should treat replicants, when we're asked to consider that, when Deckard is asked to consider, like, how am I going to treat replicants? I think that it begs the question and the true theme behind it being, what does it mean to be human, right? So uh, we see Deckard and he fights with this internal struggle about the difference between replicants he's hunting and his own humanity. Uh, There's a love story between Deckard and Rachel, which shows that his emotions towards replicants are incredibly strong. Roy's internal and external struggle is one for equality, equality with human beings because the similarities between us and replicants. Um, So that makes us really sympathetic to Roy and makes us go into the bigger question of what does it mean to be human, right? Because Roy seems human. In fact, all of the replicants that we see really seem human. The only ones that seem maybe like they're not quite as human are the ones that we see in, um, I can't remember the character's name, but he's the character that helps them. Uh, in the Bradbury building. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's played by, uh, what is it? Larry from Larry, Daryl, and Daryl from, the, <laughs> from <laughs> New Heart uh, back in the day. That's, that's going to go. Any millennials listening, they're like, what in the world is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Unfortunately, I know exactly what that yeah. is. <laughs> exactly. Oh, there you go. You, you said it, Mike. What was that? Yeah, William Sanderson uh, playing Sebastian. Yes, Sebastian. 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 Um, and, and there's 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 one more example that I'll give that's very on the nose, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But is the Voight Comp test? I mean, that's that's the biggest plot device to draw a correlation between the plot and the theme. 
So the plot being, again, are these replicants uh, human enough to be human? But the bigger theme, the bigger thematic question that we're playing with is, what does it really mean to be human and how do we define that? So I think that that is a fascinating topic to explore this this movie and to see the lens of what you know the storytellers and Ridley Scott are trying to do with it. Yeah, it's um, in and, a it's in a grand tradition of science fiction that you know um, explores humanity through outside sources, whether it be an alien, like most famously in Star Trek, you know the 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 character of Spock, half human, half half Vulcan, is is oftentimes how uh, that show explored what it meant to be human, and then in Next Generation, when you have literally Data, who is an android. Uh, exploring what it means to be human on a weekly basis on uh, by each episode. So uh, I think this is just along the same lines as that. No question. And, and think about how important that question is for us today in an environment in which we're constantly questioning um, what sort of rights people should have, what civil rights actually looks like. Uh, when we see genocide happen, I don't think we've seen that, hopefully haven't seen that in, in the United States. Um, but when we see it across the world, that is a group of people deciding that another group of people is not human enough or not as worthy of being human as them. And I think that these kind of stories, uh, they're so important for us culturally because we need to continually ask ourselves that question so that we don't get tripped up into believing that there's a difference overall um, between humans. It's really, really fascinating topic and a very deep one that I think I'm appreciative of science fiction for exploring. These aren't just movies that you just go buy popcorn for and just see like giant explosions. There's something more to be said here. And I think that that's fantastic. Um, Daryl, I'm going to turn to you first on this one. Um, mm -hmm. There have been countless <clears throat> movies and science fiction books about androids and robots and artificial intelligence. It's all technology that humans have created. And then that technology um, goes on to achieve some level of self-awareness. We talked about Terminator earlier, but like literally you can go through like a whole number of movies yeah. that have, this has happened in. But my question to you guys, and starting with Daryl, is do you think that we'll ever see this happen in real life? Will technology that we've created become sentient, and to what degree will it become sentient? No. <laughs> no, no way. Definitive. Um, one way to define sentience is that it means to feel, mm -hmm. right? Or to perceive or experience things subjectively. Yeah. Which I don't think... I don't think we can ever invent a machine that can do that. A machine is still going to be a machine, no matter how complex it gets. Yeah. No matter how many different, you know, algorithms or data points or, you know, gigabits or terabits of information we can get into it, whatever, mm -hmm. it will still be limited. It will still not have the capacity to, to um, evolve beyond what we have made it to be. Mm. Mm. Makes sense? I think so, yeah. So in that sense, I don't think we'll ever see this happen. What I do think we could see happen, and to some degree I feel like is already happening, yeah, is we can see how dangerous our reliance on machines is. Ah, okay. You know what I mean? So not in the sense that they can, they take over our lives in a sentient fashion, like they're trying to take over the world. Right. But we've become so reliant on them and they've become so integrated into our lives that if there were to be a sudden absence or, I mean, 
we could easily easily lose control in the sense of you know maybe, maybe there's only a handful of people that know how to operate a certain thing and they're gone and then now what do we do right. and right lose passwords lose access i mean there's so many different ways so not i don't think sentience is something we have to worry about yeah but we are creating something that could become problematic at some point interesting so that's what i would say okay what do you think mike well certainly not in my lifetime uh, not not <laughs> certainly not by 2019, which is when Blade Runner is supposed to take place. So not in two years. Yeah. Um, but um, no, I'm I'm kind of siding with Daryl in this. As much as I would love, you know, I I'm open to all possibilities. I, I think um, human beings are so complicated, and we have barely even begun to understand how the brain works, uh, let alone everything else that composes us that I just don't see us reaching those kind of answers to replicate it in the, in any anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be necessary because if you really are talking about true, you know, um, artificial intelligence, true sentience, it's it's it, it requires um, life to be created in a manner that uh, we just have no skill we have no tools for right now. Um, so I, I don't see that happening. I, I can see it being mimicked. Uh, I can see, you know, artificial intelligence created to the point where it feels like it's, it's a real entity that you're talking to, whether it be Siri or Echo or any of the other, um, you know, all the machines that the Japanese are working on right now that we see and we go, wow, that looks really realistic. Hmm. Um, or the but angry re- Google Maps lady. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like she's mad at me. I'm like, I'm going where you're telling me to go. If like, you don't follow her route. Yeah, exactly. Out. Yes. Yes. She's so disappointed in you when I she's know. like recalculating route. It's like, I'm yeah. sorry. And I'm, it's your you know, fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's going to take that nanosecond to do that. Um, uh, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it can, we'll, we'll get, we'll, can, I think they're constantly going to try to give us, uh, you know, personifications of machines and, you know, um, things that are going to be more social to us. Uh, but I, I just don't think that it's they're really going to, you know, they can put in a randomizer and, and hope for the best. But to Daryl's point, I mean, yes, the more that they try to tinker with the stuff, the more that um, and they try to create such a thing the more there is the option for it to go bad, um, you know, war games bad. So, <laughs> so I, I do think that right now it's just, it's just a matter of programming and it's, you know, compared to what we're, our, our brains are like, it's just woefully inadequate. Yeah. So we're going to have to hear from somebody who writes in and disagrees with us because I actually am I'm on the same page as you. I, I don't know that it's possible. And I know that there have been people that have written about the singularity and things like this. And I do believe there's that there's a potential for us to completely misuse technology. But for technology, because technology is based on a premise that it will... It can even learn the best thing to do, right? It can learn. It can go through a number of scenarios and learn like the best thing to do. But as this movie explores, as they explore in this movie, it it can't have an emotional response. 
it can tell you, well, this, this didn't happen and it was the best thing to do. So therefore it could have some level of disappointment that the, the best thing didn't happen, but it doesn't have a level of sadness that it didn't happen. It doesn't have even anger that it didn't happen. Yeah. Right. It could start eliminating it can people or adjust absolutely. and retask itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm with you guys hundred percent. The one thing I would add is I think we, we might see a different level of technological, I don't know what I'd call it. Like, influence when it comes to genetics mixing with technology so that we're not just talking to anymore about the computer making decisions we're talking about um, for example you could not only manipulate the genetic makeup of a child that's being born but you could also place technology in the child right you could make the child have um, ocular implants you could give the child uh, things that would interact with its brain to produce augmented reality. There's things like this that I think could happen, but those are just augmenting what is already organic um, or what is already biological, not actually transforming it into a machine. Yeah. So yeah. cybernetics. And, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, even though the three of us agree that it, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen, that's not to say that there aren't going to be Tyrells out there to try it. And I think that there are const- we're, we're constantly going to be trying to do it. Absolutely. I think, we're, I think we can see that right now. And it may not even be to say that we have to fight machines, that we won't have to fight machines someday. Right. I mean, right. I look at Terminator, and I know that... Do they actually say in the Terminator movies that Skynet achieves sentience? Do they use the term sentient? They say that it's become self-aware. Uh, they don't use okay, the term sentient. I could see that. Yeah. Because I look at Terminator and I could, I, not that I think Terminator is going to come true, but I look at that and I don't feel like sentience is required for, for a Skynet <laughs> to do what yeah. does in Terminator. It's true. Because yeah. it, it could just be constant retasking, constant retrying things, you right, know? Right, right, right. And so I, there's not, I, I don't know, maybe we, maybe <laughs> we could be headed for trouble without sentience. <laughs> I would actually agree with you on that one. I think that we could be headed for trouble without sentience because imagine this. Tell the computer that execute best scenario for economic achievement, right? The computer is going to have to, or or, or even better, I give you an example, real world example. Execute best scenario for climate change adjustment. Oh, I thought you were going to say execute best scenario for a quality Justice League movie. <laughs> <laughs> different podcast, actually. Ouch. Yeah, different podcast. But um, but if if a computer addressed that problem and did not care to protect humanity, guess who it's taking out? Yes, mm. it's yeah. taking out humans. Like, yeah. there's no question. So I think you, we could develop scenarios right now where computers would say you have to you have to get rid of humans. So, um, so yeah, I, I think we might see we might see increased challenges in that regard, um, which we're going to get into a question about how we can hopefully prevent that from happening yeah. soon. <laughs> um, before we go there, though, uh, and I'm going to kick this one over to you, Mike. Um, I find the Voight-Kampff test fan, uh, really interesting to me. I was going to say fantastic, and I was like, well, not fantastic. It's really interesting and intriguing um, because – we can sit with this question for a second and say like, how would you determine whether or not something is human or not 
if you didn't have a way to test the genetic makeup of the entity, because I was, the whole time I'm watching this movie, by the way, I'm thinking like, why aren't you just doing a DNA test? Yeah, like just yep. just do a DNA test. It's easy. Um, but let's just pretend we're gonna create our own Voigtkampf test. What do you put in that test, Mike? That's a good question because I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I can't believe that there isn't some sort of physical DNA blood test or whatever that they could do to just you know isolate and go, yep, you're not. You're not real. (laughs) Um, But um, as far, I I do find it interesting. And I think that's the intriguing thing about Blade Runner is that they're looking at it as from some emotional, compassionate um, response level. And uh, and quite often, like with a few of them, it's pretty easy. Um, Like with the Nexus 6 ones, it's pretty easy to tell right off the bat. But I I find it interesting that with Rachel, uh, where they give her memories and they try to build up a little bit more of a personality with her that, I mean, it takes hours, I think, for Decker to give her that, uh, that test. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the questions are interesting. I don't think it's just as black and white as saying like, well, if they're compassionate about all of the animals, then they must be human because obviously the, the, I think there's some sort of ratio between um, a logic and compassion and maybe illogic uh because there are times where she says she you know why would i i think when he she's given the question about the turtle she's like why would i be why would i not be doing anything because the turtle is upside down what in the baking in the hot sun why would i not be doing anything and then yet you know if a fly lands on her or a wasp she swats she kills it instantly and I think that's what we would do. You know, as far as humans, it's not as clear cut. It's like, yeah, in some cases, uh, you know, I, you know, and some people would be like, I can't eat animals because that's wrong. So I'm a vegan. But yet if, you know, um, a snake crawls on me, I will have no problem taking it out. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I'd have a lot of problems, but <laughs> it would be an ordeal. But um so I, I, you know, it, it, the, the, I think it would have to be a mix of questions. I don't know the level of all of them, uh, but I, and I would be curious to know the percentage of what they're using because it just seems like it would be really complex. Absolutely, very, very complex test. Overall. Yeah, I don't think. I, yeah, I looked at that and I was like, man, how could I determine? You know, I think it ultimately does come down to compassion. Yeah. Not just knowing the right answers or what the answers should be, but actually feeling the answers. And I think that's why the response in the eyes is is part is a huge part of the test. It's mm-hmm. not just the questions and the answers to the questions, but it's how they're reacting um, on that level. You know, whether or not they're comfortable with the test, whether or not they're comfortable with the answers, how long the delay is between their answers and the questions, that kind of thing. And it's all that that's more part of it than the actual the questions themselves. Mm. That's good. What do you think, Daryl? I think um, I think the way to do it seems to be through some exploitation of emotion. So meaning like, yeah, Rachel is implanted with a lot of memories. Mm -hmm. And so that will go a long ways because you could just. You could go on memories. You could ask questions about childhood, you know, like they do. You could ask questions about all this stuff. And there may be answers for those things. And maybe there's a whole life of memories built into there. But what I feel like you can't build in is 
the emotionality that comes from mm-hmm. those memories and yep. from experiences in life, and maybe even specifically the the unhealthy ways that we as humans interact with our experiences. Mm. So like you could build in a memory of like a controlling parent or something like that. Right. But I don't know if you can build in how that colors responses to other questions later in life. Right. Having been the child of an over-controlling parent or anything. I mean, just our experiences color how we experience things beyond that. Right. It was a horribly worded sentence, but I think you know (laughs) what I mean. It's just... It's just the idea that over time, our emotional responses to things will eventually start to, in a lot of cases, outweigh our logical responses to things, Mm -hmm. which is like, this is where we get anxiety from. It's where we get certain fears from and things like that. So it might take a long time. It might be a long conversation with a machine, but I feel like eventually you can get there because eventually you'll find something that's not connecting. Right, right. I don't have any disagreement with either of you. Like I have the same things written down. So I think the two biggest factors for me were, you know, emotional complexity, which you've both mentioned already. That's a much simpler way to say what I just rambled on about. <laughs> me too. <laughs> no, no, no. I think, I think you guys did a good job. Um, but, but also complex reasoning. And I think you can build a, a machine that has complex reasoning. But I read this book one time. And I didn't think about it until you actually prompted this thinking, Daryl. Um, I read a book one time called, I'm going to forget the name of it now. Oh, it's called Switch. And it was, it was for, it was actually for marketers, but I actually had quite, I learned quite a bit of it just from a psychological perspective because the whole book is about the three factors that influence your decision making. Hmm. And there are three um, big factors. One is the path that you're given. So if you want human beings to walk down a specific path, the path has to be explained to them. They don't just necessarily, by definition, find like, oh, this is the right path. I'll just walk on this one. You actually have to give them a path to walk down. The reason that makes that so difficult is because there are two factors um, that relate to walking the path that are inherently human. One is that um, they call it the elephant. And the elephant is your emotional state, your emotional being. Hmm. The elephant is the thing that decides what path to go down, decides which way to walk, decides what decisions to make. Um, sitting on top of the elephant, and I might have the I might have the animal wrong here, um, but I believe is a mouse. That is actually the logic center of your brain, <laughs> <laughs> and this is why we find it as human beings occasionally very difficult to make good decisions because the little logical mouse is sitting there going, do this, do this, do this, do this. But the emotional elephant is already going to do what it's going to do. Hmm. Machines don't have that problem whatsoever. This is why, I mean, as, as you talked about it, Mike, I think is a great example. As a human being, we make an emotional decision about whether or not the fly is a more important creature than the dog. Mm-hmm. You could program that into a machine, but the machine doesn't make that decision on the fly unless you've programmed it in. The machine would say, well, that is a, that's, that's life. That's life. Neither one is more valuable than the other unless you programmed in like how many exist on the face of the earth. And they go like, oh, well, there's a billion flies, so I'll just 
So I'll, that's yeah, I'll take that one out, right? <laughs> but you see now that now there's no sympathy in that decision. There's no empathy in that decision. That is just complex reasoning without any sort of corollary. So I'm really right on the same page with you guys. Um, I think that uh, the emotional piece is not something that will ever be solved for, which is just a fascinating thing. Um, but it's a good one. I, I, I did think I did come. I did struggle with this one a little bit because I did think to myself that and I'm going to totally cop out here, but I don't think that we can actually create a test. I think it has to be somewhat genetic biological testing. And the reason I say that is because we do find instances of stunted emotional growth or uh, issues with complex reasoning in human beings. And, and if you, if you told me, well, Jay, that that means that that person is not as human as the next person, I'd, I'd say, I reject that notion. I think that those people are just as human as somebody else. Um, in fact, I think that if you were to measure everyone on a scale, um, we all have different levels of different types of emotional ability, different types of, um, complex reasoning. So even as I asked the question, I think like to myself, well, you actually really can't come up with a test because if you found somebody that failed the Voigt-Kampf test that was actually human, that is a gigantic problem. Um, and I don't know that it's even fair to, to do that test. So. I don't know. Any any last thoughts about that? Anything anything I said prompt any different thinking or anything Daryl said or anything Mike said? I just go back to the question about can machines achieve sentience? So it's interesting. You say there is no test. Mm -hmm. I say there is no machine that would require a test. Because you could never you could never you fake can't it well create enough? that machine. Right. Like mm. I, I feel like in real life we don't have to worry about this test because I don't think we can get to the point where we need it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. In the movie and in the world of Blade Runner, you I might you might be right. There may not be a good test. Yeah, it's dicey. Which is why we still don't know if Deckard's a replicant or not. <laughs> yeah. Somebody it, test that guy well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were you gonna say, Mike? No, I just uh, totally agree. I, uh, you know, it's and that's what you know because in like even though we don't believe it'll happen in the Blade Runner universe, it it's happened. Exactly. Um, I mean, we're pretty much led to believe that Roy and his companions do have feelings. I mean, we are, you know, I mean, as much as we can understand them, there's enough there for us to think to ourselves, wow, maybe they are sentient. Maybe they are self-aware. Maybe they are, you know, a life form in and of themselves. Um, and so the, the question is, is interesting on that level. But, um, you know, there's no definitive answer there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. That was a good, that was a good discussion. Um, all right. So question number four, that means I'm going to head over to Daryl, uh, which is just my internal thought monologue, by the way, just coming out. <laughs> um, so one of the pioneers of science fiction, I don't know if you guys are familiar. I'm, I'm, I'm positive that Mike is familiar because Mike is probably the biggest sci-fi geek on this podcast right now of three sci-fi geeks um i do know who isaac asimov okay cool is, cool, yes. cool yeah. <laughs> daryl has the question in front of him but one of the pioneers is isaac asimov he's like one of the originators of science fiction really um he created three rules that humans must implement if we develop robots or androids or whatever whatever technology 
um, so to prevent them from harming humanity, basically. Um, so he said, if we're going to create this technology, we have to have rules that go alongside this technology. The, I'm just going to read those rules really quickly. One, a robot cannot harm a human being or allow a human being to experience harm if the robot could prevent um, that from happening. Two, a robot must obey human commands unless those commands violate the first law, meaning that someone asked them to harm someone else. And three, a robot must protect its own existence unless that conflicts with the first or second laws. So go, you can go Wikipedia this, and there's like a billion other laws <laughs> that other people have created. Um, but what I want to do is explore these a little bit and ask you guys what laws we think we should have. Um, so my question is, should we have laws even right now? I mean, this is, this is, by the way, this is not like some like theoretical conversation because we literally have like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg arguing about artificial intelligence right mm -hmm. now. <laughs> so should we have laws? Do you agree with Asimov's laws and would you change or add anything to them? So I'll start with Daryl. I think if we're really going to do this, we should definitely have laws. Okay. Um, I don't know that we need a ton of them in the general sense, I think it probably depends on what the use of the machine or the artificial intelligence is. Um, I definitely agree with the first two laws. Um, I would throw the third one out. Okay. Because why would we not want the easy ability to deactivate a machine? Hmm. You know what I mean? Which is essentially what that's saying is, we're giving a robot a command to protect itself, even from us. Right. So what if it's out of control? Then we're basically giving it the ability to fight us. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, it can't harm us, though. I mean, you'd have to, because that would yeah. be the, disobeying the first command. You, what if, I mean, I mean, what if the first command malfunctions, but the third one doesn't. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know? That's a bad scenario. We've seen iRobot. We know right. what, <laughs> we know what <laughs> Philip K. Dick and Will Smith did with these rules, but um, it's, I just don't really understand that third rule. I would think if we're going to create these machines, we are creating them to help us, right? Right. Like, I mean, I don't know that any, in the real world, I don't know that any of us are setting out to create robots right? so that we can give robots rights and treat them as humans and stuff like that. Like, right. we're not trying to create a new life form for which we can exercise compassion. We're you, trying to you're create... You're not. Maybe, maybe Elon maybe, Musk is yeah, somewhere. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But that's the whole thing. It's like, like we talked about earlier with you know, what's human, what's considered human. Hmm. Like at a certain point, we're talking about something that we created. Right. You know? And so why did we create something that we now have to have this social struggle with? Right. So I would think to begin with, we would be creating these things as some sort of enhancement or assistance or help to sure. us in life. Sure. In which case, no, I would not give them a rule in which they would protect themselves from us. <laughs> Because got it, I want the ability to turn it off. Sure, you know, yeah. Any additional rules that you create? No, I mean, like I said, nothing comes to mind in a big general sense. I guess okay. it would be a matter of what the use is, and okay, I'm sure there would be specific rules in that sense, but nothing overarching. Okay. What about you, Mike? I like the rules um, overall. Uh, I think they're a good idea, but their very nature 
is, would prohibit uh, free will at all. So you're putting these limitations on the robots, the androids, what have you, so that they would never have free will and they would never be able to become sentient. So like, so in a way it's, it, you know, it's like you can't have, I don't think you could have both. You can't have the rules in place and then gain sentience because it just doesn't, doesn't work that way. Right. Um, so I like, obviously the first rule is a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> second one is uh, not a bad one either. Uh, the third one, I do think it has to be like, like Daryl's pointed out, there should be some conditions on that. But, um, like for example, you know, if you if you go tell your robot you're mad or something, and you go tell it take a hike, and it literally like goes until <laughs> it gonna, it's going to break down. Like it's like no, no. It would be kind of nice if there was a safeguard in there to say. Um, if I do that, I'm going to break down, so I'd rather not... I'm not going to harm, any, or harm anybody, but I'm not going to do that. Like, you know, so <laughs> there's some conditions on there that way. Um, uh, but yes, I mean, it, 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 and it lends itself to the more questions or the more rules you put on there, the more limits that you have on there, the less likely it's going to be sentient, you know, and then... You've got, but see, that's the other thing too, is that I think we're iRobot, which is where these rules came from, from Asimov, as well as other uh, science fiction have like used these to say that you have to be so specific and make sure you prepare for any contingency. Because much to Daryl's point, like what happens if, you know, you can't turn it off and it's, Mm -hmm. and it finds a loophole around, you know, the first two rules. It's like, well, I'm going to destroy the building. I don't know that there's anybody in there, but I'm just destroying a building. I'm not, as far as I know, I'm not hurting anybody. Oh, yeah. But yet it, you know, so it destroys the building and gets around that first two rules. So you have to be very clear on on how like, each contingency for these rules. And then that's, that's so complicated. How can you, how can you predict every single, you know, um, instance that may come up? It's like the same struggle of Batman killing people or not killing people. It's like, well, I'm just destroying the car he's driving. I'm not killing him. Like, like I don't, I don't have to save you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna kill you, but I don't have to save you. Right. right. <laughs> so I am. So what would be before before I go? Mike, did you you so you're saying we should have rules? Like, I, I, I'm I'm asking that question not like as a hypothetical. I'm not, I'm saying like, should we implement rules now, just in case anyone is out there building robots? I I would suggest it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think these are bad places to start, but they're so general that you'd have to make sure that they were uh, implemented to the like fullest extent that you could. Yes. Like just to say, don't kill is is you know uh problematic um you know i mean because then it gets into some gray areas in which the machines can't handle gray areas exactly that's basically that that was that was the our answer to the previous question right like like you said it doesn't know whether to kill the fly or kill the dog or kill the whatever right like it doesn't know it doesn't know how to deal with that yeah yeah um so I agree with you guys. So we're all on the same team again. Um, we definitely need laws, especially if, as we're pursuing this. I think the difficulty is because human beings, and, I, and Mike, actually, this was really insightful because I hadn't even thought of the, the free will argument, but because human beings do have free will, 
obviously with the implementation of the internet, what do we do? We completely abuse the internet in some ways, right? It's a great invention, but there's also Russian hackers doing things, right? Like, I mean, um, and I say Russian hackers, not because I want Russian hackers to hack me, but because uh, there could be <laughs> well, American hackers it out too. There. There's lots of other hackers out there, and I'm fans of all of you guys for the most part. <laughs> no. Um, what but, happened? Yeah. What, what is this turned into? Um, I'm Did not, you just promote hacking? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I didn't promote hacking. That's just me trying to avoid being hacked. Um, <laughs> so we do need laws. For sure we need laws. Um, I came up with a few, but I agree with you, Mike, that the laws are – we're going to have our own like law book on how to deal with robotics and technology, I think, at some point. But um, So my first one – is now I'm not necessarily throwing out Asimov's, but I'm I'm uh, I'm adjusting them or maybe adding to them. So the first one is that all non-human beings must be labeled as such, no matter how real they are. Because I think we talked about this earlier. They may not. We may not ever see a robot that has the ability to be human, or for us to, in the long term, mistake them as human. But in the short term, for sure, that will be a thing, right? Um, that we would encounter something that we would go, oh, okay, I think I'm right now chatting with a human being. <laughs> no, you are chatting with a program, right? Um, so I think we need to label them. Um, second, all non-human beings must have a handler who is legally and socially responsible for their maintenance, decision-making, and moral choices. Uh, so if you were to hack into a robot, and change their programming so that they could harm another human being and they do harm another human being the person who hacked into that robot is responsible for that behavior like there's a, there's a handler associated with each one um that could be a corporation but that would be like all the leaders of the corporation or everyone who works at the court whatever we have to say that is um third uh non-humans should be able to go to war i mean if we're going to create robots i'd like for some humans not to die right like I don't think it makes sense for them. And, and actually, this is how the replicants are being used, by the way. The replicants, and it explains this in the movie, that the replicants are being used as like miners in some cases, but also to fight battles in other, in other uh, locations of the, the galaxy. Um, however, I, so we're already using robots for war, technically, because we're using drones. So we're using drones already in war. Um, I'm not necessarily opposed to that because I think while it does create, again, if there if we if there are handlers that are responsible for them, I'm okay with that happening because there's someone who has to pay the price for making decisions about that. They're not making their own decisions, or if they are, someone's still responsible for that. Ultimately, um, I so I'm okay with that, um, but I am not okay with them policing. So we've seen some movies in the past where the robots have actually been part of the police force. I'm way not okay with that because. Part of what makes our um, the men and women of our law enforcement so valuable is that they do have empathy when they walk into a situation. And they have experiences, like you talked about earlier, Daryl, those experiences that aren't just fake memories. They're real memories. They've dealt with the situations before in multiple contexts. They've dealt with the situations before in different ways. I don't think you can take that out and say, like, okay, well, it's a binary equation. Every time you walk up on someone who looks like X or is acting like X, you must do Y. Yeah, I just don't think that that's a good idea whatsoever. Um, suddenly, this turns into a RoboCop uh, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. There's don't so many all? movies that do this, don't they, <laughs> don't they all? 
Um, so, okay, last one. Last one on here. And by the way, RoboCop is actually, I think, something that really could tend to start to happen. Again, <laughs> genetics with altered, altered technology. Anyways, the fourth rule I have is that a non-human should not be considered of equal value as a human at any point in time. So this is the key question of this movie, and I'm basically siding with the non the non replica. I'm basically siding with like the total jerk in the police office, the the like the the captain, who's basically treating these things as non human. And I'm saying, yep, they're not human. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think we have to we have to acknowledge that if we're going to develop robotic technology, we have to say that because think of how many problems it creates as soon as you say that they are equal. It's a great thought exercise. That's why the movie is so valuable. But as a as an actuality, I just can't go there at all. Yeah. So, did that prompt anything thinking in you guys? Uh, well, when you mentioned the uh, the uh, pointed out that the uh, replicants are used for war in the Blade Runner universe, it made me think that uh, that Soldier, the movie with Kurt Russell, because oh, that's yeah. Supp- yeah, David yeah. Peoples uh, wrote both scripts, and he considers Soldier to be a sort of in that universe. Really, I didn't yep. know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's what made me think of that. So. <laughs> that's Sorry. cool. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's great. completely that's great. random, but yeah, no, I, we love random facts. That's perfect. I think it. One of your rules puts it in a very good perspective because, I mean, I already mentioned earlier, like why would, like your last rule about, non-humans should be regarded as non-humans. Right. It's like, well, why, why would we do that? Why would we create something that we have to struggle with, socially accepting? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Why would we do that? You know, well, but um, also, and I, 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 I kind of know where that is going. Yeah, yeah I'll yeah. come back to that. But um, the other thing too, another way to look at that is look at your second rule. Every robot needs a handler. Yeah. So you're basically talking about parenting. To a degree, sure. And. Therein lies the question of creating something like we don't create our children, obviously, but <laughs> but lies in the idea of why would you introduce something that you have to have this social struggle with? And it's love. Like, that's the difference. Like, would we love a robot? Like, would we create a robot so that we could love it so that it can somehow enhance our lives with, you know, a an emotional completeness that we get from love or whatever it may be. Right. I just, I think I'm losing my train of thought here, but (laughs) but the the rules just, I don't know. I have a hard time thinking about the rules because I'm like, well, why would we do this to begin with? Like, why would we create something that we need these rules for? It's not life. Like we're not creating life. We're creating machines. You know what I mean? And so I I feel like it looks like parenting because, you know, with a child, eventually you don't have to parent a child. Sure. Because a child can evolve and a child grows and learns. Right. And develops emotional control and complex reasoning. Yeah. And machines do not. Machines do not evolve beyond what we specifically put into them. And right. maybe in Blade Runner they do. But yeah. in the real world, they, I don't think right. they do. Right. And, and so... With a child, you will eventually be able to stop parenting that child. 
Right. And that child can go on to parent another child. Right. With robots, I don't see that happening. If you're going to be a handler for a robot, you're the handler for the in, that robot's entire existence unless you pass it off to somebody else. Right. Well, considering that robots can last longer than us, then, yeah, you're definitely going to right. be doing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's really um, interesting to think, okay, so if if we're telling the robot, if we're programming the robot to define things as uh, not human and have a specific, um, but like we are struggling with what it means to be human. So, <laughs> so <laughs> programming, so programming that, that robot is going to be very difficult. But, and I think even though the rules are nice, uh, I think that, you know, um, the question of why, I think whether it's, whether you're talking about in fiction, whether you're talking about Tyrell or you're talking about, you know, Dr. Frankenstein, their goals are the same. They want to understand what it is to be human, how humans work. They want to be able to recreate that, um, you know, play God, so to speak. Um, and, you know, I think in real life, there is probably uh, people that are like that as well, which are going to be like, no, we want to the closer that we get to being able to replicate a person, the closer we are to understanding what it is to be a human. Mm. That's good. And I would take I would take it down a slightly different path too. Um, I think that that is definitely true for those inventors out there that are like, hey, I want to be able to do this. I think that there's another component to it where, like, you're basically asking the question of like, why would we even explore this topic as a thing, right? Like, yeah. why would we even do this? Well, I can see a lot of reasons why it would be very valuable to us, right? So coming from the startup world, since uh, that's what I do in my day job, um, we're constantly, as human beings, this is something that differentiates us, I think, from a lot of uh, other creatures, is that we're tr constantly trying to solve problems. We see a problem, and we go, wow, life could be better if that were changed. Mm -hmm. And I can think of a lot of different uses for robots that would solve a lot of problems. So I think it's natural for us to say, let's create, but see, here's the thing. I would, it's natural for us to say that we should create robots. It is unnatural for us to say that these become more than tools, unless yeah. like Mike said, you're actually just trying to be God and create your own little kingdom, right? Um, your own little fiefdom, your own little world, your own little set of worshipers, if you will. Uh, you can program worshiping you into a robot, right? And also now you feel <laughs> real good about yourself. But I think ultimately, like, our desire to create robots can be perverted or it can be actually really good use. We can say this is the way that we should be creating th robots because they are helpful to us. They, If you told me that, you know, one of my friends didn't have to go to war because we could put a robot in the field who was equally effective... I would say, fantastic, send the robot, right? Like, I don't want any harm to be done to my friend, so send the robot. There's a use for that. Yeah. But I do think that the problem is not the robots. If they are tools, the problem is not them. The problem is us. Right. Right? So right. it's, it's yes. what we put into the robots that's the issue. And that's why we that's why we have rules. Like the pro if the problem wasn't us, we wouldn't have to have governments. <laughs> there would be no there would be no legal for there would be no legal aspect of the government. But the problem is us. And that's the problem. Yeah. So I think that's where it, for me where the the two lines kind of meet. And when you talk about using robots for war, um, like in one sense, definitely replacing robots with humans in war is great 
for the sake of protecting humans. Yes. But only on one side of the equation. Only if you're on the side that the robots are fighting for. Yes. On the other side, which granted, whatever the war may be, maybe they are in some sense evil. I don't know. Whatever, whatever we're fighting. Right, 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 right. You still are talking about humanity versus humanity. Correct. And now you're giving the robots the ability to kill humans. Yes. Void of any moral decision making as to why they are doing it. Well, hopefully they have handlers, <laughs> but yes. Hopefully, <laughs> <Yeah>. but... <laughs> The, the so, robot buddy system. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But you see what I'm saying, like. Oh, I do, and this is what this is the argument against drones. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of people out there that will tell you that drones are basically like a, I don't know, what, like an abomination yeah. of, of war. Yeah. Because it's not fair that we're using. Uh, but see, I would tell you that well, yeah, there's always a handler though. Yeah, and if there's a handler, and if there's still the ability to make a moral decision about what's going to be done with the machine. Yeah. Then I agree. Right. Then we're in the position where we are hopefully responsibly protecting people yes. by not putting them in war. Yeah, it's not it's not but, a lot. Sorry, go ahead. But it's it's a band aid. I mean yes. the real problem yes. is that we have war. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, exactly. Right. So much it would be so much better yeah. to not fight. Well, and, and and I think that like this is not that different from the current argument we're having about guns. Yeah. I mean, it's not that different. Like, the, like, and I, and I don't mean to say like the the pithy statement of like, oh, guns don't kill people, people kill people. I don't mean to say that, right? Yeah. But what I'm saying is the gun is a tool. In some cases, the gun is helpful. In some in some cases, it's an abomination. Yeah. It's not the gun that's the problem. The access to guns may be a problem, and we may not be responsible enough as human beings to be able to have the access that we have. I get that. I grant you that argument, but it's the same thing. So to yeah. pick pick whatever issue you want to say that like human beings use these tools and human beings can completely abuse them. Yeah. You're right. The problem is us. It's always us. <laughs> yeah. It's very rarely that it's the tool that's the actual problem. Yeah. But I do think that the reason why we'd have to have laws and the reason why people are saying we should look at our gun laws right now is that human beings when not when emotionally compromised when uh when life circumstances don't happen the way that we want them to we do not behave this is where robots would be superior to us if we're being honest if we had a robot that was of perfect moral character um oh that robot would always make a good decision and we don't Eh. um I, I I think (laughs) well but to that point I think it all really comes down to the value of human life and I find it interesting that, you know, we would want to put a rule in there that a robot cannot harm a human being or allow a human being to experience harm. And that isn't the first rule that we give ourselves as humans. Exactly. If this mic wasn't so expensive, I'd drop it. That is it for today's podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have an extra minute, write us a review or share this episode with one of your geek friends. All right, fellow geeks. As always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.